Hi everyone, John Clare here. Welcome to episode 30 of the EvoFi podcast, a finance podcast for humans. It's been a little while since our last episode, but we're happy to be back with you now. We hope you're all doing well and that you've had a great summer. Today we're going to be talking about the very nebulous topic of estate planning, or as you'll come to hear perhaps better referred to in this podcast as, quote, documents to help you take control of your financial and legal situation if you're not able to do it yourself, end quote. Now we're talking, right? Who doesn't want that? We're joined by Mike Bennett, lead estate planner for Helios Integrated Planning based in California. Specifically, Helios works with advisors like us to incorporate estate planning into a client's overall financial planning. We've found in our work that estate planning typically falls below investments, insurance, and other items on the priority list, and oftentimes doesn't even get done in our challenge of trying to simply find time to manage our existing lives. So if you've been thinking it's time you looked at getting your own documents, or if it's time to review those documents you created 10 years ago, stick around for the rest of the podcast. We should help be able to bring up the speed on what you need to know and some of the service models out there today that can help. Also joining the podcast today are fellow veteran Evo Fires, Dave O'Brien and Cecilia Fleming. If you're not already a subscriber to the podcast, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can find us on Twitter or Instagram at EvoFiPodcast or drop the podcast a line at EvoFiPodcast at gmail.com. As a reminder, this podcast is 100% free of any tax, legal, or investment advice. Our goal here today is education and some fun. If you need advice in any of the areas mentioned, tailored to your specific circumstances, feel free to give us a call and we'll see how we can help. Now onto the podcast. Here's the EvoFi team talking with Mike Bennett of Helios Integrated Planning. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to the EvoFi podcast. This is episode 30, and we are lucky to welcome Mike Bennett, lead estate planner from Helios Integrated Planning. Welcome, Mike. How are you? I'm doing well, John. Thanks for having me. Glad you're here. Um, so uh, why don't you give us a quick overview on, um, on, on you and on Helios Integrated Planning, and, uh, with, you know, and we'll go into more details later, but just give us uh, you know, the quick elevator speech on, on your situation. Yeah, we're, we're basically a firm that we, we've tried to democratize estate planning. Uh, we know that everybody needs it, and we know that most people put it off. And, and for whatever reason that may be, it's not very fun to talk about, number one. It's too expensive. And so what we've tried to do is drive a wedge in the middle of the estate planning, the, the current estate planning um, atmosphere out there. Because on one end, you have nothing but software, the legal zooms of the world, where you just go to a software and you get it done. There, people love the cost of that, but they don't love the fact that you there's no real handhold that goes through that. You don't know what you don't know. On the other end of the spectrum, you have your local estate planning attorneys. Um, people like the fact that there's a professional there to help them through things, but they don't like the cost. And so what we've tried to do is drive a wedge through the middle of that where we have the software do a lot of the work, but we have the financial advisor, the person who probably knows the client the best anyway, in the middle of that process. And so we've really, really tried to um, make this more 
more approachable and more affordable for, for the masses, knowing that not every estate plan is something that you should do this way. You know, we, we do not try to replace estate planning attorneys because we need them. Uh, and we know that we need them for some of those select cases. So I think we'll have plenty of opportunities to geek out today with you between us financial weenies and can I call you a legal weenie? Is that is that is that fair? <laughs> yes, that's, so, yeah. like, Cecilia. Uh, by the way, I should mention uh, we do have Cecilia Fleming, one of Evo Advisors uh, Associate Financial Planners, with us as well, and my business partner Dave O'Brien is here. So uh, we've got a good crowd today, and uh, again, we're lucky to have Mike with us. All right, Mike. So um, we have something called the Evo Five that we like to do to warm people up first. Um, and uh, like I told you before the podcast, some of our previous guests have lamented that they would have liked to have had these in advance to think of, you know, wise answers. So uh, we've given you the questions, not sure you've used them, and that's okay with us. So let's have some fun with it, huh? Okay. All right, cool. What's the one thing you have not done that you really want to do? And what's holding you back? <laughs> um, you know, I, I haven't done enough traveling. And so Australia in particular is a place where I'd love to go. Um Never, never been there. What's holding me back is, is uh, COVID. Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> COVID, kids, yeah, life, yeah. Uh, you know that that's the uh, yeah. So a little bit more traveling. All right, fair enough. I like that. What profession would you not like to do? And estate planning cannot be one of them. Yeah, that's oh come on. <laughs> uh, no, I love estate planning. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't. I, I love police officers. I love that uh, line of work, but that, that's just not something that interests me. And you know, and, and you know, another one though, actually, that, that's a little bit closer is litigation. Any type of litigation attorney. Yeah. That's just not me. You know, that's I don't want to spend my whole day fighting with people. When you went to law school, that wasn't what you got into it for. Oh gosh, no, okay. no. That's you know, I, I I wanted to do estate and tax planning. Believe it or not, okay. that's most people fall under this. I chose it. Yeah, good. Which is. That, that tells you probably way too much about me and you probably want to end things now. No, no, we're going to have a good time today. I think it's perfect, perfect, uh, perfect for this podcast. Um, what would you do differently if you knew no one was watching? Actually, that's not true. Dance. If you knew no one would judge my you. Wife, D- dance? Yeah, dance. Yeah, my wife, my wife uh, yeah, she has to move my hips for me. Um, you know, she says I can't find beets if they were growing in my garden. Uh, that's yeah. <laughs> oh, that's cold. But I know how you, I know how you feel. <laughs> Thankfully, there hadn't been a lot of weddings with COVID, and also I haven't had to do a lot of that dancing. Yeah, I've got a good march going when I dance <laughs> instead of moving the hips. That's, that's, uh, that's look, what my wife tells me. It looks better as the night goes on. That's all right. <laughs> that's right. And yeah, the more drinks you have, the better <laughs> I am. What is your happiest childhood memory, and what makes it so special? Uh, it's got to be around sports. Um, I, I grew up playing a lot of sports, still do. I, I still, I, I coach my own son. I'm president of the local little league, all those things. Um, yeah, and this is going to sound so stupid, but I don't really care. Winning the eighth grade basketball championship um, the, for, for our local, uh, our local league. We, we had to beat one team in the semifinals that we had literally not beaten from fourth grade to eighth grade. And then we had to beat another team that we had never beaten from fourth grade to eighth grade in the finals. Um, we, we didn't have the best players, but we had the best team. That's awesome. Um, two of the people on that team ended up going and playing college basketball, uh, the team that we played against. And then one of the players ended up playing major league baseball for 10 years. Wow. And so they definitely had some studs and, uh, but we had the best team. 
And, and it just showed me what you could do with the power of a team. And you beat both of them, the semis and the finals, we, is that right? Yes. Like yeah. We, we had the, the, the one team we went to overtime with in the semis. We were down 26-25 at the half of the, the finals. We ended up beating them 63-42. to 42. We just laid the wood on them that nice. second half. Nice. And a little bit sad that I can remember those scores, uh, given no. uh, that's almost 30 years ago. No. So this was you as a player, not you as a dad. No, yeah, I, I, I was a player at that point, yeah. Well, <laughs> if you want to call what I was doing playing, right. that's I could shoot a little, but yeah. one of uh, you know I, one of my nicknames was Wheels, and it wasn't because I was fast. It wasn't. Why would you, why would they call you Wheels? Now I'm now I'm intrigued. It was an ironic nickname. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's uh, I could shoot, okay. uh, but yeah, that, that's uh, you know I had to be really open. Got it. <laughs> Got it. All right. So here's the here's the last one. So I don't know. Do you are you a music fan by chance? I, I like country music quite okay. a bit, but that's, uh, yeah. This one might but be I, tough. But I, I can go in a bunch of different ways. This one might be tough for you. I tried to pick one in what I thought was your kind of age range-ish okay. uh, for cool music. So what we like to try and do, and I shouldn't say we, because Dave would probably have more sensible music choices than I, but try and pick a song in the vein of the podcast. I have to okay. say this one is a reach, but it's the best I can come up with. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play a few seconds of this and then uh, see if you okay. can't... Uh, Figure it out. Now, I've heard some of our guests when we do Zoom, it's kind of hard to hear over the microphone. So, well, uh, we're gonna we'll put the song in digitally after the, when we do the production. But here, let's give it a shot. Here we go. Wow, I, I have I have no clue. I mean, it's uh, I, I, you know I'm going with like the the, the Metallica type age the. Megadeth type age, you know, like that's uh, it's probably late '80s, early '90s, maybe mid '90s. So do I have at least time that, frame right? One, do you know that one, Dave? Okay. So, but I think the time frame is right. You graduated from college, probably what late '90s? Yeah, 2000. Okay, so close. This is a band called CC. First of all, I should ask: Does anybody else know it before I give Mike a few hints? No clue. Okay. Anybody heard of a band named Pearl Jam? Oh yeah. Okay. No, I almost instead of I almost said Metallica and Pearl Jam, but it sounded a little bit too heavy for Pearl Jam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's yeah, from a it's movie a called cut. Singles. Uh, but the the song oh, I, I remember Singles. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. the and it's a, actually quite a popular song, but the song is called State of Love and Trusts. So I'm going to call it State of <laughs> I see where you're going with State this, John. of Love and Trusts. Is that a reach or That's what? That's a real reach, but. Good, All you right. know, good effort. All right. Hey, everybody we'll smiling. Cecilia we'll, we'll knows my, about, my, knows my a, dad that, jokes. That, that's a good uh, segue over to okay. estate planning. So let's go into uh, estate planning and trusts. Um, so, Mike, you mentioned up front a little bit about, a very high level about Helios integrated planning. Can you just give us a little bit of uh, more information about your particular background and your role there? And, um, yeah, let's start there, and then we'll dive into some Planning questions. Yeah, so I mean, Helios Integrated Planning kind of came out of a, it, it came about pretty randomly. Um, Chris Shuba, who's the founder of Helios Quantitative Research, our sister company, uh, he and I have been friends for years. Uh, and we were actually having drinks at a um, kid's birthday party and um, just catching up about things. And he asked me, oh, what'd you do today? And I told him how I had prepared a couple of estate plans. He's like, well, it's a Saturday. You must have worked hard. And I said to him, I said, how long do you think it takes me to prepare an estate plan when I've got all the information? He's like, I, I don't know, three, four hours. 
I said, I, I'm pretty sure it took me 27 minutes and I went to the bathroom in the middle of it. <laughs> I said, it's mostly template driven. And he kind of looks at me and it's just like, well, we should try to you know, blow this out somehow. And I said, I, I've been looking to do that for years um, because I know it's something people need, um, but nobody ever wants to do it. And they don't realize how easy it actually is. And so I was trying to find ways to mass produce estate plans, but I, I don't really have you know, national connections. Uh, I was, you know, I'm in the, in the Sacramento, California area. And Chris's idea was to do it through financial advisors. And that's the light bulb just went off at that point. And because Chris with his company, Helios Quantitative Research, which is basically an outsourced chief investment officer, he already had the national connections with, uh, uh, with financial planners and with compliance departments. And so that was in May, 2018, um, it's in some ways it seems like a minute ago in some ways it seems like a lifetime ago to where we are now. Um, yeah. So it's been wonderful. So, and we heard about you at a NAPFA conference a few, uh, uh, probably a year ago by now. And, um, you know, you mentioned up front about when clients, uh, or, or people who are seeking legal estate planning help, they kind of have a couple different options. There's the legal zoom route, which is the straight forms where, I like to say it's garbage in, garbage out, but you never know what you're getting. Then you can go to the traditional attorney, and then there's a lot of the stuff that's now in the middle where there's assisted um, estate planning work, um, which I think is super intriguing because, as you said, it's not always the top of someone's priority list. So the easier we can make it, the better. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift gears a second here, which is um, uh, I know there's some unique planning opportunities this year potentially uh, with – tax laws and estate planning laws may be changing, estate exemptions and so forth. Can you kind of highlight a few of what you're seeing as some of the major trends right now in estate planning? Yeah, well, I mean, the first major trend is that more people are getting it done than ever before. Yeah. And, and we, see, we see the stats on that and we love that. Um, and, and you mentioned there's, there's other people who are coming into the space as well. I mean, we welcome uh, that. We're all trying to get people to get more estate plans done. That's a mission that we can all get behind. And that we're all trying to trying to do. Um, so the fact that more people are getting it done is wonderful. Um, that that's exactly why we have our business. Um, there's a lot of talk. There's always a lot of talk around uh, estate tax exemptions. Um, you know, anytime that anytime that uh, you know, estate planning is not a very exciting topic. So anything that anytime that anything remotely estate planning comes up. Everybody just gets uh, just starts salivating in the estate planning industry because oh we actually have something to talk about with our clients besides dying. Well, no, you're still talking about dying. It's the estate tax exemption, but you know th there's talk about it going from the current 11.7 down to 3.5. Um, I really don't see that happening. Uh, whether you're Democrat, or Republican, listening, <laughs> it's uh, not percent; it's millions. Yeah, yeah. That's it. It's whether you're Democrat or Republican, I don't really care. Um, you know, my opinion is that, you know, Democrats and Republicans have one common goal and that's to get reelected. And so I think if they let it go down that low, I think there's a lot of people who are not, uh, that, that aren't going to be too happy with that. But it's, you know, 11.7 million is pretty darn high though, too. So it really just doesn't affect that many people. And, and frankly, three and a half million per person isn't going to affect that many people either. Um, so yeah, I, I, those are the two biggest things, the estate tax stuff and then the people are getting it done. Dave, did you have a question? I had well, a follow-up, but go ahead, you go ahead first. Well, go with your follow-up and I've got more of a high-level question that 
listeners might want to hear. Oh, okay. So my question is the different estate tax exemptions, 11.7 versus whatever it may go down to. Does does that change any of the planning, in your opinion, for people who may fall into into that range at this point? It, it does uh, a little bit. I mean, you're always going to have your basic revocable trust-based estate plans for, for those. That's the foundation of things. What you'll see more of is the irrevocable trust planning, where like life insurance trust and, and those types of things that will that will come up a little bit more. But that's a little bit more advanced. Yeah. Uh, but it's something where as the exemptions come down, you'll see more tax planning opportunities in that realm. I read about one just recently. I think it was Bob Virus or, or uh, but it was called a slap. Slap. Which is which is no, it's a slap. Isn't I think it? he put a P at the end and it's supposed to be a T. <laughs> a a, spousal yeah, lifetime spousal access trust, provision trust, or something. Trust. Yeah, uh, trust. Yeah. I the, think that, and then you know with the well, yeah, and, and the acronyms in estate planning can yeah. uh, get a little bit aggressive. Yeah. Well yeah. Uh, to that so let me pull this up about sixty thousand feet. Um which I guess is twice the flight the, the, the we level out of jets oxygen. fly. Yeah. Um so let's just go to 30. Big, big high level thing. So what portion do you have a general idea of like, what, what portion of the population even has any, and first, what is an estate plan? What is that, right? It's your will, durable power of attorney, advanced medical directive, HIPAA directive, trust if that's appropriate. I mean, just kind of explain you, to the folks, like, the what are we talking about here? Yeah, you've hit the major one. So estate planning is a set of, uh, well, estate planning is a set of documents and or decisions that you make to take control. If I could boil estate planning down to one word, that's the word, control. Um, you're controlling who gets everything. You're controlling how they get it. You're controlling who makes financial decisions if you can't make them for yourself. You're controlling who makes healthcare decisions if you can't make them for yourself. And you're controlling who has custody of minor kids. Those are the five major decisions that go into an estate plan. The most basic type of estate plans, you have your will-based estate plan, where it's not just a will. It's You just mentioned it's the, the financial power of attorney, the healthcare directive. Those are all things that encompass an entire plan. Um, with the trust-based estate plan, the trust is the foundation part of that plan, but you still have all these other documents to make sure all these documents are working together and pulling on the same rope in the same direction. That's very, very important. Um, and then when I say it's the documents and decisions, the other decisions that are out there, um, I mean, there, there's things like, you know, who you have named as beneficiaries on your accounts um, or on li life insurance policies, retirement accounts, all those things work together as part of an overall plan. Um, and, and that's something that a, a lot of people lose sight of. They know oh, I've got my trust. I don't need anything else. No, that's just the start. So I, I, I like the way you put that. It's a control. And I've described it to folks as, you know, there is a plan, right? When you die or when you become incapacitated, there's a plan. The government has a plan, not to say that there's a boogeyman out there, but that's part of the role of, you know, the court system is to make sure that things are cared for in a prudent manner. Uh, and if you don't have a professionally developed plan, there is one out there and choose what you'd rather have. So with yeah. that, it, go on. Yeah. Oh, everybody who's 18 has an estate plan. Yeah. It's the, the, your, your state's probate code yep. uh, is, is your estate plan. And I think there are a lot of misnomers out there with people I've certainly run into, but how many folks out there in this country, just generally, how many people have any kind of 
documents in place? So our research indicates that there's about 47% of people that actually have a plan uh, right now. And, but that's okay. That's, I agree. That's, that's higher than I expected as well when we were doing all the research, but then you look at the, you look at the numbers that where those numbers come from, it's not a, it may not even be a will. It may not even be a trust, just some document, Mm -hmm. which could be as simple as just having an advanced healthcare directive, for instance, that you did at your doctor's office. Our research indicates that it's somewhere between 18 and 22%. So roughly 20% of people have a trust-based estate plan. Not to say that that's appropriate for everybody, um, but about 20% of people have that. <laughs> and that's, so, that's higher than I and, would think. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the whole population <clears throat> of the country. Yeah, well, it's, it's, the numbers have gone up a, a tick a little uh, over the last five years. And so that, that's a good thing, but that's still, but then you're going to have, the, the number is very, it's not going to go really, really high because a lot of those people don't have an up-to-date estate plan. They did it 20 years ago and they've stuffed it in a drawer uh, because they, oh, I thought about it once. I don't need to think about it again. Talk a bit more about up-to-date. Um, I think uh, a question that I'll, that I'll ask is <laughs> what are the top problems that you see in most people's plans uh, when they do have one? And I, I'm going to guess that that might be a good place to start. It's just old. Yeah, and it's it, stale. It, it's it's old, and so you have trustees named on your uh, on your trust or executors named on your will that you don't even talk to anymore because you did the document fifteen years ago, or you know, you or the person who's named can't manage their own money. If they can't manage their own money, don't let them manage yours too. Uh, if you're gone, um, the I think the biggest biggest thing I see though is people do the plan, but they don't have the other things working together. For instance, uh, my kids are 11 and nine years old. Uh, the biggest asset that my wife and I have because we have young kids is our life insurance. And we hope we never have <laughs> that asset, frankly. Um, we've named a trust as the beneficiary of our life insurance because because our kids are so young, our kids get money for healthcare, education, support, but they don't get to control it until they reach certain ages, 25, 30, and 35, are what we've selected for, for our kids. Um, if we just named our children as the beneficiary of the life insurance after we're gone, they're going to get all that money when they turn 18, effectively defeating the estate plan and the control that we've tried to put in place for that. And so that's, to me, that's the biggest mistake after you've gotten the documents done is you don't have everything working together. So can I ask you a follow-up question on that? Because, and I don't want to get us uh, too much off track here, but a lot of the folks that we talk to and work with tend to be in that category. They're like you and I who have young kids or certainly minors um, and they may have life insurance and they have trusts and so forth. Are there other things for that type of a profile? Are there, what, what do they need to be looking at? Their first time estate planning clients, what, what are the basics and what are the things they should be considering versus somebody who's in their 60s or 70s? Maybe there's a different profile there. Yeah. And so, and it goes back to those five major questions. Yeah. Who's getting it's generally easy, equal shares to the kids. How are they getting it? It's, I, I try to stress to clients that it's flexible. You know, I mentioned 25, 30 and 35 for my kids. When they're teenagers, my wife and I are probably going to switch it to 55, 65 and never because they're teenagers <laughs> and they're going to be knuckleheads. Yeah. Um, and that's fine. Um, you know, trustees, uh, is the third one, trustees, executors, powers of attorney, who's going to control the finances. My wife and I, we have, the way I try to think of that is who would you want today, but also take into account reasonable changes in the future. So my wife and I have my father first, then we have her father second. Well, then we have her brother third and my sister fourth, because 
if something happened today, we want our parents or our dads to do it. But again, they're older. So we want to make sure that we've built that in already. Um, healthcare, the things that they want to think about are, you know, I, I'm a pull the plug type guy. Probably a little bit blunt to say that, but that's that's what I am. Uh, I don't have my mother list on my advanced healthcare directive because she would never pull the plug on me. And I love her for that. And then I joke that I don't have my father-in-law either because he'd put a pill over my head if I gave him that opportunity. <laughs> and we can't have that. Yeah. Um, no, and, and that's and he, he loves it that I use that. But it's and then for me for that for that profile client, I, I've saved the the best or the worst for last, depending on your perspective, is who's gonna be the guardian for those minor mm-hmm. kids. That is far and away the biggest thing that keeps younger families from getting an estate plan done. And my you know, what I would tell them is take control of that. You, there's more often there's people who come in, they're going to know who they don't want <laughs> versus who they do want. Okay. Make sure that even that, if, even if you've got that down, that's better than nothing. Yeah. Uh, take control of that decision. And do you feel that, uh, have you seen a shift toward younger folks working, creating estate plans more so now than they had in the past? Absolutely. It's, and it's very encouraging to me because the, one of the biggest barriers for them was cost. They're not going to go spend three to $5,000 to go get what's basically a template document. I just described the five major decisions that they have there. And that's something that most of them can do um, either. You know, I don't want to say completely online because they're not comfortable just going in and just saying, okay, well, I'm not, I don't know exactly what I want, but I'm just going to go in and do this on my own. And this is why I think financial planners are so well suited to not only get it, helping these younger families get these things in place, but also keeping them up to date as the years go on, because you're going to be meeting with them. You're probably one to three times a year, I imagine. And so in you as financial planners are so suited to not only get these things done, but keep them up to date to prevent those mistakes that, that, that I talked about earlier. Yeah. Okay. So there's a mistake that we see all the time. Um, I'm sure you do as well. It's uh, you have a job, your job has a retirement plan, a 401k, a 403b. When you get that job, they give you some forms to fill out. And one of them is the beneficiary designation form. And it has primary and a contingent. And you could fill out lots of people for that. You know, somebody in their 20s might put their parents as the primary beneficiary. Probably makes sense. 10 years later, still working for the same company, or maybe they're not, and uh, they're married. Their parents are still the beneficiary. Eh, time goes on, they get married, they put their spouse down as the beneficiary on this other 401k that they now are in. Then they get divorced a few years later, and their former spouse is still the beneficiary. Give it some time, they're married again to somebody new, and that person is not the beneficiary on this account. Uh, and, and then often we'll see uh, minor children put as the contingent beneficiary. Uh, sound about right? You're not going to be able to see it on the podcast, but my hand is visibly shaking right yeah, now. Yeah. Um, it, it really, yes, we do see that. Um, so so when, what should people look for and what should they do? Uh, I don't know where to start on this one. Um, <laughs> that's, again, it all goes back to keeping these things up to date and, and making sure that if you're not checking these things on an annual basis, especially beneficiary designations, that's a mistake. Additionally, I think that if you're leaving a 401k at an existing employer, it's, it's hard to really, or at a former employer, it's really hard to take control of those things. You'll work with your financial planner to get that stuff 
consolidated where again it all goes back to control but it's the the ex the ex spouse one is one that it, it i mean i i've been doing this type of work for 16 years now i've probably seen that i i guess 10 to 12 times so it's not that it's it's i mean that's it's i hesitate to say it's common but it's not rare <laughs> either i mean if it's happening almost once a year uh just for me that that's a big problem uh, in a scenario like that and so it's and and usually the ex-wife isn't very accommodating when it comes to uh <laughs> to giving that back um, and so it, it, again it all goes back to control take control of that situation and get it to the right people so you're a consumer out there you're not working with a financial advisor because unlike uh 47 percent of folks in this country who have some sort of plan which yeah, i agree that's that's a much higher number than I would have expected. 20% would have shocked me. So you're one of those folks who doesn't have a financial advisor or financial planner. You don't have an estate planning attorney and you're listening and you say, okay, I do have an IRA and a Roth IRA and a 401k at a former employer and a 401k where I work now. What do I look at? What do I do? How do I start? Uh, generally what I see people start with is just talking to the HR person at that company if there is an HR person. Um, that, that's, that's a huge thing, but I, I think that the better start is to get a financial planner, get someone to help you with that. It's the, now I, I'm not a financial planner, so I, I don't want to make this, uh, this is not a self-serving statement for me. It's, you know, getting someone in place who can help you with those things, not only make better decisions now, but those types of decisions will pay for themselves tenfold going into the future. Uh, not just, uh, just with the, that proper planning in place, uh, you get it. It's your financial planner is there to, to help. Uh, yeah, there's a little bit of a fee involved, but it, it's worth it. Again, it'll come back tenfold. I, I, I and I and I mean, I don't want to. Maybe I should be out there marketing for you guys. On these yeah, hey, we'll talk about know, that afterwards. Yeah, yeah. It boggles my mind that, that people leave those things there. I mean, that's your money, and, well, and, and usually and, it's you know if you had a you know if you had. I mean, let's call it ten thousand dollars in one of those that you just like leave sitting there. Would you just leave ten thousand dollars cash just sitting there unattended? No. Why would you do that with your four hundred one k and a former employer? Uh, you know, because you're basically leaving it unattended in a lot of cases. It seems like. And certainly, I mean, it might be for investment reasons. It's great because it's low cost and so forth. But changing a beneficiary includes filling out some forms and dealing with people you don't work with anymore, maybe because you don't want to ever see them again. <laughs> um, but there's another component I, I should have added too. It's not just your retirement accounts, is it? It's also that group life insurance that you had with that employer. That has a beneficiary and a contingent beneficiary. It's a term life insurance policy that you may have purchased years ago. Um, these are things that have beneficiaries, and that's a big deal to make sure that that fits with your plan. So let me ask, I'm going to, I'm not sure if Dave's getting at this or not, or if my brain is just 10 steps down the road, but, and first I'll preface this question with, we're not here to give legal advice. Obviously we're here right. to, to banter and to this about education. So this is not to be taken as legal advice. Not legal or tax advice. Yeah. So, but um, I would suspect a lot of the folks that listen to this podcast, a lot of the folks that we work with, a lot of the folks that you work with, uh, Mike, uh, may or may not have an estate plan, but they do have retirement accounts and so forth. They have kids and they're saying, great, um, I know I need to get all this stuff set up. Who should I put? 
right? Should I name my kids outright? They're 11 and nine. Um, do I need a will? Do I, should I have a revocable trust? Um, the whole stretch IRA provision being gone, you don't, you can't do that so much anymore. So if someone comes in and, you know, they're you know, mid-career, you know, they've got, you know, maybe a million dollars in assets and they're saying, well, just, how do I set this up sensibly? Um, you know, kind of what is your, what is your guidance to them out of the gates? Number one, get it done. Yeah. Okay. Check. Just get it done. And that's, I mean, and I'm sure probably not shocked to hear something like that, but again, it's, it's never been easier to get it done. So it's, and, and again, it all goes back to control. I will, I will use that word a million times uh, this year. It's you want to control those things. You don't want someone else controlling them for you. Now, I, with like beneficiary designations, I do see some younger people who will say, uh, you know, like you're 18 to 21 year olds in college. We will see them get like a, just a financial power of attorney and a healthcare directive uh, that names their parents. So that way, if something happens to them when they're in college, the parents can, sure. um, you know, can act and can get information. Um, as you're into your career and those types of things, as you're having kids, I think once you have kids, a trust based estate plan is going to be most appropriate almost all the time because you want that control. Mm-hmm. It's there's a misconception out there that trusts are only for the wealthy or trusts are overly complicated. Yeah. You know, your trust is probably going to be 25 pages and 20 of those pages you're never going to need. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem is we don't know which 20 pages. And so that's why it's, it's that way. Uh, we're trying to do things in such a way where it's, it's a good long-term fit for those trust-based estate plans. And so taking control of that stuff earlier, it's going to do nothing but benefit you going forward. Um, you know, I do see scenarios where you name the parents when you have minor kids because you know your parents will take care yeah. of uh, take care of your kids. Um, but with that said, it, it's, you know, why leave that to chance? Right. So that allows you to spell that out in advance through a trust-based plan. Uh, what about, I don't know if they have it out in California, and I, you know, I don't know if I mentioned this up front, but uh, obviously Mike's in California, so some of the estate rules may vary by state. I know my sister lived in California, and all of her estate plans are based there, and now she's in North Carolina, and it's like different. Um, but here, we often see a lot of testamentary trust um, provisions in wills for young parents uh, mm-hmm. who who, you know, who wanted to get something in place, but now their assets have grown and, you know, those assets have to go through the court, obviously uh, the probate process, even though they, the trust is created. Any sort of thought you have on kind of a will-based trust uh, versus a, a revocable trust in advance? Yeah. And so at, at Helios, we, we elected not to do testamentary trusts. Um, and it wasn't because we don't like them or we don't think that they're effective. It's the, the reason that a lot of people did testamentary trusts in the past was the cost difference. Yeah. When it's a $1,500 to $2,000 difference to do those types of things, you know, yeah, that's a difference maker. Yeah. Um, you know, in Helios, and I, I don't want this to be too much of a sales pitch, but we, we turned that into a you know, $150 or $200 difference. Mm-hmm. And so our philosophy on it was basically, look, if, if you're going to want to have that control anyway, just do the revocable trust. It may seem like more than you need now, but it's something that you'll grow into in the future. Yeah. And so that's that was our philosophy on it. Okay. That makes that makes good sense to me. Dave's got a question here. I don't think we've talked about this before, so this would be a good one. So 
understand, um, you know, if I'm listening, that, all right, I need to have some documents because I need to make sure that if something happens to me, what happens to my stuff, like my assets, my money, is my plan. Or if I'm disabled, we haven't talked about that. But um, that's clear. You know, we're, we're in a time now where you can't just go into somebody's house, you know, and they've, um, you know, kicked the bucket and go into their desk drawer and find the files, go into the, you know, the library and pull out the old photo albums. Everything's online now and everything has some type of security to get online, uh, especially financial accounts where you need the user ID, the password, and then a multi-factor code. Um, so digital estate planning. What are your thoughts? What are some things that people need to start doing so that if uh, an untimely death uh, occurs, the people that they love who are left uh, aren't pulling their hair out saying, God, would you just tell me what your Facebook password is so I can close your account down and can stop telling everybody it's your birthday because it's breaking my heart. That, yeah, that's, if there's a, if there's a new frontier for estate planning, which that, that sounds over, overly dramatic uh, to say, but it, it's digital estate planning and how we handle these things. Um, my philosophy personally on it is you, know, you have to, make that stuff findable on some level. Uh, for me, I, in my estate planning binder, I've got a list uh, of those passwords. And because, you know, my wife, you know, may know, uh, may know most of them or, um, or maybe she doesn't, I, who knows? It's, you know, cause sometimes now you have to change them every 90 days too, or, or whatever it is. Um, the, but my dad's not going to know any of that stuff. And so I put together a list of, you know, what the major passwords are, uh, you know, and I, I'm not affiliated with LastPass, but I also have uh, LastPass, which is something that it's basically a password keeper, uh, where if you've got that LastPass, you, you kind of got the, the keys to the castle, so to speak. Um, and, the, and to take the digital assets a step further, I mean, it's some of these places are notoriously difficult to deal with, too. I, I mean, you know, people don't get up in arms about $11 a month coming out for Netflix or whatever it costs these days. But, you know, the, the third month the person's gone and they keep seeing that coming out, coming out. Like, how do you cancel the Netflix account? <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, there's companies out there who will literally do that stuff for clients. And I mean, we, we have partnerships with a few of them that will uh, really, really help in those types of scenarios as well. Uh, and so it's kind of nice to have those types of, uh, you know, arrows in the quiver. Well, and you mentioned these password keepers like LastPass, 1Password, Dashlane, something that I think a lot of folks who use those are not aware of is that you can, uh, you know, add your executor, so to speak, you can add a trusted person to your account so that if there's an emergency, they can get in there and they can access your stuff and they can do what's necessary. I would yeah, say and that my, underrated, underrated thing there. Yeah. And ahead, I, I was just going to add on to that. You mentioned you had some, some firms in the industry or partners that you would recommend. Well, if we can get those from you, we'd like to put them in the blog post for the podcast because I, I think that that's a great resource. I have to say I've gone through personally a few with clients recently uh, and the life insurance and the budgeting and the investment stuff, that's easy. But it's like, what do I do with the iCloud account or how do I get my husband's pictures from Apple? I mean, you have to go to the court. I mean, it's crazy. And I think the more we can educate on how to better prepare and control that, 
Uh, and frankly, we have not done tons of that here, but we're learning as we're going. So any resources that are out there, we'd love to share. Yeah. And so we did a webinar last week with a company called True State, uh, T-R-U-S-T-A-T-E. Uh, that's what they do. They go around and they, 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 for a flat fee, they go around and they help out with those types of things. Um, and, and it's something that it's, it's an underrated need uh, it, it, uh, in that context. And, and ultimately, too, when you're dealing with the administration after a loved one has died, I mean, you're dealing with death, you're dealing with money. Right? It's an emotionally charged scenario. Um, you don't you don't want something like the Netflix account to put you over the edge. But it does. And when you've got multiple, th- you know, it's uh, just I've seen it and, and it can be very, very difficult at that time. And seven ninety nine a month. I mean, it's money doesn't matter. It's still more anxiety. So, I, yeah, exactly. Um, and so these uh, these services that you're talking about are they more preventative or proactive? Or are these after the fact where they come in and help you clean up? It, it is after the fact uh, mostly, but they do have services also where they'll help you get those things set up so it's not such a headache after you're gone. And that's I, I prefer the more proactive yeah. approach. But you know, as we know in financial planning and in estate planning, that's you know proactive is great, but that's not always the reality. Yeah. Yeah, no. I think in two areas, financial planning and estate planning, those are always they're always on the list, but they're always below the line, you know? <laughs> That's right. That's um, right. So uh, just a time check here. We have about five more minutes. So I have a couple questions to close things out, but I want to look to Dave or Cecilia. I, we haven't um, – you've been kind of listening diligently. Is there anything, any questions for Mike before I hog the rest of the session here? I think my only question, we talked about revocable trusts versus will tra- will-based tra- or estate planning. Um, and you mentioned that, you know, one of the things you look for, Mike, is when you start to have kids is when you'd probably move towards your revocable trust. Is there anything else you would consider um, when recommending a revocable trust versus a will-based plan for someone? Yeah, and, and you're going to be shocked to hear me use the word control here. Hmm. Um, <laughs> that's, um, you know, and so... When you want to control distributions in any way, shape, or form, the trust-based estate plan versus the will-based estate plan is, uh, is going to be what we generally see. But it, well, and I, I'm going to take this a little bit of a different direction, too. When do I see a will-based estate plan, or when is that sufficient? That's uh, when we have people who are you know, generally have older kids uh, who are reasonably self-sufficient, so they don't need any types of restrictions. Um, you, most of their assets are tied up in beneficiary designations that name those kids anyway, or name the spouse and then the kids. Um, that's when we generally see a will-based estate plan. Uh, and, 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 and we see it work, and it works just fine. Um, because assets that avoid probate are assets that are held jointly, assets with a beneficiary de- designation, and assets held in trust. And so if you don't need that third category, if most of your stuff is already tied up jointly or with the beneficiary designation, you know, you could argue it either way. Yeah, okay, good. That, I think that was a good question, Cecilia. Thanks for asking that clarification. Um, all right, real quick. So um, what are some common estate planning mistakes you come across? I see. I guess you guys see a lot of uh, documents, I suppose you, you do more than first time estate plans. So what are some common mistakes that you think folks may learn from and, and apply, be able to apply to their own situation? Yeah, we, we have an internal group, uh, that, that 
reviews the state plans and some of the stuff that gets thrown around that that group chat yeah. uh, just oh my gosh did you see the you know look, look at this one it's um it's entertaining for estate planning nerds uh like us but it's there are definitely yeah this may be another for another time but it's uh you know, some of the ridiculous things that, that I've seen in estate plans or been requested to be in estate plans. That's, that's always a good topic too. But um, the, the, the biggest mistake is that we see is uh, uh, the lack of control. Um, it's, you know, giving everything to the kids at 18. Like, yeah. well, you're going to trust, like, why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you actually plan for that type of thing? Yeah. Um, that, that's far and away the biggest one that we see when we're reviewing plans. Um, there, some of them are unduly restrictive on the surviving spouse. Uh, the laws have changed so much since 2010 that if you did your estate plan prior to 2010, there's a good chance that there's some undue restrictions there on the surviving spouse where it could lead to some significant tax implications for um, for, the, for the next generation. And, and if we can avoid those, let's do it. Yeah. So for folks who have estate plans that predate 2010, it may be worth reviewing those to make sure that. Yeah. And, and so what I like to say is a lot of people ask me how often should I review it? And I mean, you can give the stock answer every three, five years or whatever it is. What I like to say is if you or any beneficiary have had a significant change in health or wealth, that's when you look at that estate plan. Yeah. Okay. Um, so my last question is, I'm sure you get questions all the time, just like we've asked you today, but are there any questions that you get that we haven't already asked I hate that question, which means it's a good one. <laughs> you know, what what do I need to know that uh, that, that you haven't have. told me? Yeah. <laughs> That's what. Um, no, I mean, just stressing the control is such a such a huge thing. I, I don't, you know, we, we we've talked about those five major decisions. That's something that I think that the. Particularly the guardian one, that's one that I think gets glossed over, or not glossed over, but it's something that doesn't uh, get talked about enough. And, and keeping in mind, too, that estate planning is not just for when you're dead. It's when you're incapacitated as well. And yeah. so not enough people give enough thought to those types of things. They just think about, well, who's going to give you know, give away my stuff when I'm dead? Yeah. Well, who's going to take care of me while I'm still, while I'm still alive? Yeah. Um, and so just make sure you focus not just on death, but also you know when you lose your marbles as well. Okay. That's more fun stuff. So what's the key word of the day, everybody? <laughs> control. Control. I'm going to change the song to Janet Jackson's Control in editing. So yeah. you may have to get the rights to that, Mike. So, but then we'll Mike get it. So that you got to redo it now. Yeah. We'll see what we can. Yeah, it's right. We'll edit that in. I don't know. We'll see how the... Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, hey, Mike, I want to thank you very much for spending some time with us. It, w- it was really great. Uh, and it's great to, great to see you. No, thank you. And I, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Anytime we can talk about estate planning, I'm all in. Awesome. Yeah, we're, we're, we're there with you. So uh, for those of you still listening, uh, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram at EvoFiPodcast. Uh, until next time, you all take care and we'll talk again soon. Bye now.